If you have Bibles uh, today, please turn to Mark chapter 10. Uh, we have pew Bibles in the pews in front of you, the red ones. Uh, if you are using those this morning, that would be page 681. Uh, we've been studying the, the Gospel according to Mark uh, for a while now. And the Gospel according to Mark is, is one of the four Gospels that recounts the life story of Jesus. Uh, and if, if you want a, uh, a little handy way to remember what Mark is all about, uh, many of you have heard this before, but the first eight chapters of Mark are about the identity of Jesus. Who is he? And we found that Jesus is the king. He's the Christ, the king over the whole universe. He's got all the power in the universe. He can do anything he wants. He's the son of God. That's the first eight chapters. He's the king. Uh, the second eight chapters of Mark, 9 through 16, is about, his identity, or is about his mission. What did he come to do? So, who is he? He's the king. What did he come to do? Well, he came to die. He's a king with a cross. Uh, he, he came. He has all the power and authority in the universe, but he came not to rule, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for you and me as a ransom for our sins. So here we are in chapter 10, in the last couple chapters, chapter 9 and 10, as Jesus has begun to teach about his mission, why he came, he's also teaching us as his disciples what our lives should look like as we follow him on that same mission. And so we've seen some lessons from Jesus as he speaks about how we are to live our lives. And today that continues in chapter 10 as Jesus talks about money. And if you just want to tune out for the rest of the sermon, here's the main point today. If you want eternal life, you need to watch out for money. Because money is dangerous. It's hazardous to your eternal health. Mark 10, 13 is where our passage begins. We're going to read from 13 to 31. You can follow along as I read aloud. And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? 
Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children for my who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. As we go through this passage today, I want to ask four questions. The first question I'm going to ask is to get our orientation about what other questions we should ask. And then the final three are going to be questions about the passage, trying to understand what is this really saying for us. So the first questions, and these are the points that you have on your note-taking outline. First question I want to ask is just what is the theme of this passage? Uh, and, and I want to ask that question rather than just kind of telling you and jumping to it, because I want you to know where I get the stuff. Uh, and I want you to also be able to do this on your own. So this is kind of a little, maybe a little teaser for this How to Study the Bible um, Sunday School class, but I'm telling you, this is, this is how it works. Uh, one thing that you do when you read the Bible is as you look at a passage, you should ask yourself, uh, what is this really saying? What is the theme of this portion of Scripture? Uh, we don't just come to the Bible and say, well, what do I feel like hearing from the Word today? And you pick out a verse and you say, well, that, that was nice. That made me think about puppies, and then I feel good about that. Uh, because that's what the verse said. No, you, you go to the passage of Scripture and you say, what is this passage about? And you draw your applications and your life lessons from that. And one way to do that is you look for repeated phrases or, or words or themes. And you can see that in this passage very clearly. One of the phrases that's repeated a number of times is entering the kingdom of God. Okay, this passage is about entering the kingdom of God. You look in verse 15 and Jesus says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. That's, what, that's what's at stake. You need to find out how do you enter the kingdom of God. Verses 23, 24, and 25, Jesus says it again three times, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. How difficult it is to enter. How, you know, it's, harder, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Um, now, entering the kingdom of God, you say, well, what does that mean? Well, you look in verse 26. When Jesus says it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, Peter responds with this question, who then can be saved? So to enter the kingdom of God is to be saved. That's Peter's question. Well, I can't, how do you enter the kingdom of God? How can a rich person enter the kingdom of God? They, they can't do it. Well, then who then can be saved? So entering the kingdom of God is the same thing as being saved. You look at the rich man's question in verse 17. He says, teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And in response to that, Jesus says, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Then in, in verse 30, when Jesus is describing what does the life look like of people who have followed him, he says one of the things they get is eternal life. So you put all those things together and you realize that this passage is all about eternal life. How do you get eternal life? How are you saved? How are you transferred from the kingdom of darkness and sin and the devil where your destiny is to die and to suffer in hell for all eternity? How do you get out of that 
so that you then become a part of the kingdom of God where you have eternal life and you are saved. Right? Those are the stakes. This is why I'm a little emotional today. Because the stakes are high. This passage is all about eternal life. How do you get it? And that's the most important question that any of us can answer. So that leads us to the second question we have to ask today. Well, how do we get it? Okay, we, we've identified that's the main point. That's what the Bible, what God is trying to teach us through the Bible today is about eternal life. So how do we get it? So with that, let's jump in to verse 13. Uh, there's a two-part answer to this. And the first is we receive the gift of eternal life. Verse 13, you've got the disciples around Jesus. They're kind of his bodyguards. And some children, some big bad children, are coming trying to talk to Jesus. And the disciples are rebuking them. They say, no, don't, don't bother him. Don't bother him. And Jesus says, no, let the children come to me. And then he takes this, this opportunity to teach the disciples a lesson about eternal life. And he says in verse 15, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you need to receive it like a child. So uh, I did a lot of reading on that this week. Uh, there's a lot of speculation. People have kind of taken that and said, well, what does it mean to enter? What does it mean to receive like a child? And, and some people, I think, have this idealized version of a child in their mind. They say, well, it means to, to, you know, to be pure, to receive it purely. You have to receive it humbly uh, or innocently. They focus on, on the character of this, this perfect child, and they say, if we, if we would just be like this, this perfect, humble, innocent, uh, you know, simple child, to receive like that, then, then, we'll, then we'll be saved. And I just was scratching my head. I was like, do these people have children? <laughs> like, like I, I, don't, I don't know who, who they're talking about. Like, when I, when I look at kids, and I survey a vast crowd of children, I don't, I don't come away saying, children in general are humble, uh, or children as a whole are, are innocent. And the passage doesn't say anything about the character of the children. It just says you have to receive it like a child. And, and when, I look at chi- when I look at children, at kids, uh, one thing I do see that all of them are very good at is receiving. Okay? That, that's, that's something kids have down. Uh, all kids are, are really good receivers. Uh, when, when you give a present to a child, uh, they, they take it. Okay? That, that's how children receive. Uh, you, you, don't, you don't go to a kid and, and give him a present, and they say, well, it's not my birthday. You know, I, I, don't, I don't deserve this. No, no, there's, there's no reason for me to, to have this <laughs> present. They just say, of course you're giving me a present. I'll take it. Uh, you, you don't have that argument. You, they, never, they never pull out their, their piggy bank and say, hey, let me pay you back. You know, let me pay you back for this present. Uh, you take your kids out to McDonald's, uh, and they don't say, oh, Dad, I got this one. <laughs> right? It just doesn't, it doesn't happen. Okay? The one thing that children all do very well is they receive. And Jesus, say, Jesus says, if you want to be in the kingdom of God, the first thing you have to do is receive it like a child. That is, receive it. So salvation is a completely free gift. Jesus has done it all. Jesus lived the perfect life in your place. Jesus died the atoning death that you should have died in your place. And he rose from the dead that you might have life. He did all that. And he offers that to you as a gift. And your job is to be like a child and just take it. That's the first thing that we have to understand about eternal life. How do you get it? How do you enter the kingdom of God? You just receive it. Jesus offers it to you and you have to take it. 
Now that receiving of the gift, though, we can get off on the wrong foot if we think about that as merely a transaction. If you think it's like you know going to an ATM and you put in your, your thing and you get the money out and you receive it and you leave and it makes no difference in your life. That's not what it's like to receive this. You're receiving the gift from a person. You're entering a relationship with him. And the relationship that you have with him is he is the king and you are his subject. You are his follower. And so as we look at this question, how do we get eternal life? The first thing is we receive the gift of eternal life. The second is that we submit to King Jesus. These are not two separate things, but they are the same thing. You receive the gift by submitting to King Jesus. That's what the second story is about today. Verses 17 through 22, we have a rich man who comes up to Jesus, and he wants the gift, but he's not ready to receive it because he's not ready to submit to Jesus. Verse 17, the man runs up and he's desperate. He, Jesus is leaving the house. He chases after him and he kneels down before him and he asks him, good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Now in this question, he's already tipping you off that he's got a non-childlike understanding of receiving the gift. Because he says, what do I have to do to inherit? Well, you don't do to inherit. You, you just inherit. We talked about inheritance in Sunday school a little bit today. What, what, do you, what does it take to inherit? You just have to be the heir. All you have to do is, is receive. The other person gives and you receive the inheritance. But he's coming up and he says, what do I have to do? You know, what do I have to do to merit an inheritance? Jesus plays along with him a little bit. In verse 19 he says, okay, you want to do? I'll tell you what you got to do. Just keep the commandments. And this is true. Right? This is true. If you keep all of the commandments, if you can keep all of the commandments perfectly, you will live. But nobody does. Now this guy in verse 20 thinks that he has. So he says, Teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth. But Jesus loves him too much to let him believe that lie. Okay, I want you to catch that. Jesus is not being mean here. He's not putting added burdens on this guy. He's trying to point out to him that he's wrong, that he thinks he's kept the commandments and he's going to get eternal life for that, but Jesus is pointing out the truth of his scenario that he is far from eternal life and that all the things he, done, he has done so far have not amounted to anything. And so in verse 21, Jesus looks at him and he loves him. And he says, here's one more thing that you've got to do. Sell all you have. Give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Okay. So, so what is Jesus doing here? Is, is Jesus saying, okay, there were the Ten Commandments, but here's this secret Eleventh Commandment. And, and this is what you're missing out, but I'm going to tell you this Eleventh Commandment, and if you do this, then you will have done enough to earn salvation. We can read it somewhat, sometimes like that. We think, oh, okay, so... so um, Okay, so I guess I'm not really a Christian. I mean, I, I believe in Jesus, but I haven't sold all my stuff. I haven't given to the poor, so I better do that so that I can earn salvation. That's not what Jesus is saying. Remember, receive it like a child. You don't earn it. What's Jesus doing here? He's giving a specific application to this man of the principle we saw in chapter 8, verse 34. Go ahead and flip back in your Bibles a couple pages, or maybe a page. Chapter 8, verse 34. We've been down this road before where Jesus explains what it means to be a disciple 
Uh, first of all, he tells people why he's going to die, and he, he, he explains it's a free gift. But then in verse 34, he says to the crowd, if anyone would come after me, that is, if you would receive this gift, if you would have eternal life, what do you have to do? Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. This is what it means to be a Christian. You have submitted yourself to Jesus. You've denied yourself, saying, I'm not in control anymore. Jesus, you're the king. I'll take up my cross, I'll suffer, I'll do whatever you ask me to, and I will follow you wherever you lead. That's how you receive the gift of salvation. You submit to King Jesus. Now what Jesus is doing here in this passage is he's looking at this guy and he's loving him and he, and he sees what his problem is. He sees that he loves money too much. And so he tells them, here's what it's going to take for you to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Just sell your stuff. Just sell it all, give it all away, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And you'll have treasure in heaven. It's too hard for this man. Verse 22, he, he goes away sorrowful because he has great possessions. And I, I want you to see what he's doing here. He, he, he's walking away. He, he's asked Jesus, what do I need to do for eternal life? Jesus said, here's what you need to do for eternal life. Follow me. And this guy walks away without eternal life. He chooses his possessions over eternal life. This is why money is dangerous. Because if you're, if you're thinking clearly, okay, I hope we're all thinking clearly here today. If you're thinking clearly and, and you understand what Jesus is offering here, you would go with Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm offering eternal life. All you have to do is just get rid of your stuff and come and follow me. That's a no-brainer, if you're thinking clearly. Jesus is offering eternal life. This guy's got great possessions, but they're just possessions. They will last you a few years, and then they're gone, and then you've got eternity in hell. Okay, it, it's really not that complicated. It's an obvious choice, but this guy cannot make the right choice. He cannot choose eternal life because he's been blinded by his possessions. That's what it says in verse 22. There's a causal relationship. It says he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. The reason why he couldn't accept the gospel is because he was rich. So the third question that we need to ask is how does, the money, make it, how does money make it hard to receive eternal life? Okay, there's a connection there. And it's important for us to ask that question because this is not a sermon that we're all just sitting here and, and thinking, boy, wouldn't it be great if Warren Buffett could hear this? Uh, you know, this is, real, this is a sermon that Bill Gates needs. Or the Kardashians, or whoever's out there. You know, just think, people that you, um, it would be good for them. Um, but, you know, it, this is not about people out there, those, those rich people, because everybody defines rich as people more money than you. Uh, but, but I want you to understand that this guy who had great possessions, I guarantee you, every one of us sitting in this room has a higher standard of living than he does. This guy who lived 2,000 years ago who had great possessions, you have at your fingertips more technological sophistication and, and, and better food selection and better health care and more entertainment options than this guy had, even though he had great possessions. So you're rich, right? 
I mean, on a, and, and even today, on a global scale, you're rich. You're poor in America. You're rich in the world. So on a geographic and a historic scale, we're the rich man. Okay, so this is for us. We need to ask, how does money make it hard? Because eternal life is worth it. But this guy was blinded by his possessions. And I don't want you to be blinded by your possessions. So let's peel it back a little bit. What does money do to us? The first thing it does is that money feeds our self-reliance. This man was self-reliant. You look at verse 17. He comes up to Jesus and he says, what do I have to do? It's like he's walking up to Jesus and he's pulling out his checkbook and he's saying, what's it going to take for me to walk away with eternal life? We write a figure down on a piece of paper. You look at that and you tell me if that's good enough. That's what money does to us. We're all self-reliant by nature. It's our, it's our fallen nature. But money feeds that. You begin to think that that's how the world really works. The more money you have, the more you can do that. The more you can walk up to somebody in a situation. You can write a check. You can solve a problem. And you become self-reliant. That's what this guy was like. He walks up to Jesus and just says, what do I have to do? What's it going to take for me to get eternal life? And the danger there is that that's not how the gospel works at all. That's the opposite of the gospel. What the gospel says is you have to receive it like a child. You can't buy it. Not with your money, not with your effort, not with your moral performance. There is nothing you can do but rely on Jesus. The second thing that money does, it feeds our selfishness. This guy was selfish. You know, verse, um, verse 21 Jesus doesn't, like a great televangelist, say, sell all your things and give them to me. He says, sell all your things and give them to the poor. It's a good thing. He's saying, be selfless. Take the resources that God has given you and use them to bless those who are in need. And the man can't do it. He can't do it because he has great possessions. Isn't that interesting? Don't, don't we think that, that if we just had a little more, then we would be able to be generous? But Peter and the other disciples, verse 28, they didn't have a problem leaving everything they had and following Jesus because they didn't have great possessions. They had modest possessions. See, we, we think if I just had a little bit more, then I could be generous. But the way money works is that the more you have, the more it feeds your selfishness and the more it shrinks your capacity to be generous. I don't know if you've spent much time with really poor people, but they are incredibly generous. They put us to shame because they have such a loose hold on the blessings that God has given them. But we think, oh, but if I give this away, then I would give up all these other options that I've got. We just feed our selfishness. Now, this is dangerous. It's dangerous to be selfish, because the call of Jesus in the gospel is to deny yourself. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to deny yourself. And it's hard to deny yourself. When you have all this money and all these possessions screaming at you to indulge yourself. The third thing that money does is it makes us forget God. For as much as this guy was keeping the commandments, God really had no place in his life. You notice the commands that Jesus points out here are all the ones from the second half of the Ten Commandments. The second table of the law, which are how you interact with other people. He doesn't say anything about the first ones. You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, or, as it says in, in Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This man was keeping the commandments, but he wasn't loving God. 
He'd forgotten all about God. He's gotten so reliant on his possessions that when Jesus challenges him to give them up and strictly rely on God for, for, for provision, he can't even fathom that scenario. He just walks away. I, I, there's no way. I, I, I can't give up my money. Because money's become God. You see how that happens? It happens in life all the time. It's, it's in the Bible all over the place. It's in our lives. We're desperate when we're poor or when a problem happens and we cry out to God. We remember God when we're in trouble. We cry out to him. He responds and blesses us and meets our need, maybe even abundantly so that we now have some excess. And what do we do with that excess? Do we, do we bless others with it? Do we give God thanks for it? No, we sock it away and say, this is now my safety net. Say, this is my provision. This is my God. So now that I've got money, I don't need God anymore. He came through, he provided money, and now I don't need him. So that's, that's what happens when you get rich, like we are. Is you start to trust in your money. There's a reason why they call them securities. Okay. But the gospel calls us to trust in God. See, we have needs that are deeper than feeding ourselves every week or paying the rent, or these sorts of things that money can do. We have deep needs that only God can fulfill. And if we start to believe that money can meet our physical needs, pretty soon we start to think that money can meet all of our needs. But it can't. Only God can forgive our sins. Only God can give us life in him. But money makes it hard, because we forget about him. And then fourth, money makes us forget eternity. It's right along the same lines, but eternal things are at stake. Eternal things are at stake. But this guy ignored it. In verse 21, Jesus promises him that he will have treasure in heaven. You have treasure in heaven. It's like I said, if he was thinking clearly, he would go with Jesus because the cost-benefit analysis is completely in Christ's favor. He's offering him eternal treasure that will not fade, eternal life that will never end. But the problem with money is that when we get it, it begins to convince us that it will somehow last forever. I don't know how it does this. I mean, we, we can all say to another, yeah, I know, I know you can't take it with you, I know it doesn't last forever, and at the same time be completely enslaved by it, acting as if it does last forever, and it is the most important thing to spend our lives on. It's insidious. Right? It makes us forget about eternity. We, we get a little cash in our account, and, and especially here in America, especially with people as rich as we are, we begin to think that we can get heaven now, that with our money we can create a world in which we don't have to suffer anymore, in which we don't ever have to go hungry, we can have all of our entertainments, we can make a little cocoon and be protected and be fine. But Jesus never called us to create heaven now. He said, you've got treasures up in heaven, and it's foolishness to invest all of your life in creating a brief window of seeming heaven, which, by the way, it doesn't work. You're going to get suffering in the midst of it anyway. Uh, but we try to do it and protect ourselves, and he said, it's foolish. It's foolish. Eternity is real, people. It's real. It's more real than your 401k. It's more real than anything this world has to offer. But money lies to us. Says eternal life isn't worth it. Give up all your possessions? Fourth question. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it giving up everything to receive eternal life? Is it worth it?
Verse 28 through 31, Jesus says it's worth it. Uh, Peter asked, sort of asked that question. I mean, he's, he's kind of fishing for an answer here. He says, Jesus, we left everything and followed you. And Jesus says it's worth it. He says, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands, you know, everything, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Okay, you get that? Jesus says, if you, if you sacrifice for me, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying if, you, if you, you put a dollar in the offering plate, you're going to get a hundred next week. I'm not saying that. Not Jesus isn't saying that. But he's saying, look, there's a real sacrifice. You're leaving your father. You're leaving your mothers. You're leaving your friends. People are going to not like you anymore because you're a Christian, because you're one of those crazy Christians who really believes that Jesus is true and eternal life is real and that hell exists and that this is significant and you dare to tell people about it and you dare to live your life differently because of it. You're going to be one of those crazy Christians. People are going to not like you. You might lose your job. Okay? You don't have to go out seeking the opportunity to sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. You're going to get suffering if you follow after Jesus saying there's going to be things that happen to you. But he says, here in this age, you will receive a hundredfold of, these, of houses and brothers and sisters and children. How does that happen? It's this room, okay? Look around you. This is that blessing. Okay? You leave, maybe you leave your family. Maybe they uh, ostracize you. You know, that doesn't happen so much here. It happens all the time around the world in Muslim countries as people follow Jesus. Maybe that happens. You, you get ostracized or feel some sort of minor persecution. Look, you get a hundredfold here with the people in this room who are your brothers and sisters and mothers and, f and fathers and children. And you, you give up some stuff financially, but you join this family where we have an obligation to love and care for one another. And Jesus provides that blessing here and now. Now, the great guard against the sort of health and wealth, it's all going to be wonderful. Preaching comes there in verse 30 where he says, you get all this stuff with persecutions, it's very realistic. Following Jesus is hard. You give up your whole life. You experience persecutions. But in the midst of the persecutions, here now, you get blessing. And he provides for you. But then what really seals the deal is the end of verse 30, and in the age to come, eternal life. In the age to come, eternal life. Is it worth it? Is it worth saying to Jesus... Yes, Lord, whatever you ask of me, I will do. If you ask me to give away my money, I'll do that. Okay? Um, if you ask me to, uh, to repent and, 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 and leave behind sexual sin, I'll do that. Uh, if you ask me to forgive my enemies, uh, I'll do that. What, whatever, Lord, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do that, because that's what it means to receive the gift of salvation. As you say to Jesus, you're worth it. Uh, you're my king. I'm just a little child. I can't do anything to earn it or deserve it. It's all free from you. And Lord, yes, I just want to follow you. Because eternal life, eternal life. Life with the God who made you for all eternity. Is it worth it? I think so. So what can, what can we do as rich people in this present age? Uh, thankfully, there's a Bible verse that says what rich people in this present age can do. 1 Timothy 6, 17. 
Paul writes to Timothy and he says, as for the rich in the present age, so this is a verse that's for us. This is our wheelhouse. What are we supposed to do? What's it mean to follow Jesus if you're rich now like we are? As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Don't be proud. Don't be self-reliant. Trust in Jesus, not your money. Uh, Don't be haughty. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Don't forget about God. Don't trust your money. It's not going to work out anyway. God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So enjoy life. Enjoy it. Don't, Don't be... You know, don't think you have to be sad all the time and, and suffering all the time. God will provide enough suffering for you. Enjoy the gifts he gives. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. God has given you money for a reason, and it's so that you can be good with it, that you can help others. Verse 19, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I love that. Money offers us a fake life. But God offers us that which is truly life. If it scares you to think that Jesus might ask you to give up everything, uh, if it scares you to submit to Jesus, I just want to close by reminding you what kind of king we're submitting to here. Um, He's a king with a cross. Uh, He knows what it's like to give up everything for someone. Uh, He's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't already done for us. He had infinite riches in glory. Before the foundation of the world, he, he was the eternal son of God with unfathomable... We can't even imagine what it was like for him to be with the Father and the Holy Spirit from all eternity in heaven with this just great glory. And he gave that up and humbled himself, taking the form of a person, and not just being a person, which is humility enough, but taking that life and living it and and dying on a cross, a horrible, humiliating, excruciating form of punishment, that through his poverty, we get to become rich. That's that's the king who's saying, trust me, follow me. I'm not going to tell you everything I'm going to ask you to do, but just trust me. I already died on the cross for you. If you've received that gift, if you've really been cleansed of your sins and received the riches of the righteousness of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in your life, then you're really rich. You're really rich. And if you have those riches, uh, then you can follow Jesus with no fear because there's nothing in this world that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, You are a good Father, and you are so good to us. Help us. Lord, we are in a dangerous place and time. We are rich, and we don't know it. And we are are being tricked and lied to every second of the day by money and by culture, our advertisements and everything around us, our magazines at the checkout counter at at the grocery store, everyone is screaming to us that, that eternal life is foolish and that money is what we need. Oh, but Lord, we need you. 
Would you clear our heads and open our eyes? Give us the strength to give lavishly, to, to trust you in whatever you're leading us to, that we might experience the freedom of trusting in you and, and a, a relationship with you, that we might experience that which is truly life. Oh, Father, give us life and see us safely home, that we might be able to endure a lifetime in this culture and never give in, never give in to the lies, but to the very end, trust you. We pray this in the name of Jesus.